Well, let's pray again, and let's be fed by our Father who loves us. Lord, we love you. And as the ancient prayer says, uh, you make us glad by our weekly gathering. And we pray that you come on us in such a way that we have favored the whole rest of the week. I need church. We need church. Church is your idea, Jesus. You're the head of the church. I pray, take, take out, remove all the cultural things that are not of you. And we pray instead that just all that is true and good and wonderful um, about you and your presence and your word, let those things be what remain in our hearts as we part today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to be different in 2016. There are several areas of my life in which I want to be different from 2015. What about you? Are there things in your life, when you think of your last year, that you want to be different as you look ahead? We could talk about many different areas, our finances, our health, maybe our relationships, our family, our job life, our work life. But we're in church So I'm going to talk about one area. Of course, all those things are under God's provision. They're under his counsel. They're under his grace. They're all, he loves every bit of us. But I want to talk about church. And one of the things that I want to be different in 2016 is I want to have more kingdom impact. In other words, I want, when people get near me, I want them to get more or want more of God. In 2016, when people get around me, I want them to get more or want more of God. That's one of the ways that I want to change. And as a pastor, I can say I'm actually somewhat embarrassed. If you're going to look at some of my stats on, say, how many people have become followers of Jesus because of their proximity to me, I don't know that I'd be too proud about 2015, or for that matter, 14, 13, 12, 11, on back to the beginning of the church. So a typical response for me could be, okay, roles and goals. Let's start making lists and set targets. That's a typical response I could have. And for sure, there's truth to the fact that, for example, if I share the gospel X times, Y number of people could come to the Lord and that they are proportional. You know, the more of X, the more of Y could happen. How was that, Brian? You're a math teacher. Okay, proportional. So I could do that. That's the way I could be thinking. But I think Jesus actually suggests something different. I think that Jesus suggests something very different. And to get us there, I want to get us in the context here of where and when and to whom and why he says this very different suggestion for how we can think about our 2016 in regards to kingdom impact. So come with me there. We looked here at a map last week. Now I want to give us a bird's eye view. Last week we looked at a map of Capernaum. Now I'm giving you the bird's eye view. And it's likely, as Jesus started his ministry, it was high impact. I mean, because of the power factor of Jesus' ministry, people getting physically healed, demons being cast out of people, the crowds went crazy. 
And so here at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, uh, we find him pulling away to this location, highly likely, where he would share stuff about kingdom living. You see the Mount of Beatitudes up there. It's likely that he was in that location when he began this kingdom teaching. Again, he had to pull away from the city because the crowds were so great. And so what we might have ended up with is a scene like this. So many people were coming that then Jesus gathers the disciples, some people who are starting to follow. We know at this point that we've got five of the eventual, eventual 12 with him. And again, there's probably a crowd or, or kind of a, um, sorry, there's, this, there's a huge crowd. Then there's the mini crowd of people who are really saying, I think I want to follow Jesus. And it's in this setting, he pulls these guys aside, kind of this, these closer ones. You know, again, we have five are identified. All 12 aren't identified at this point. We're early on in his ministry. And he pulls them aside. And first he says, hey, guys, I want you to think differently about all those people out there. You know, here we are. We're looking at all these people who are following me. And I want you to think differently. And actually, it bears remembering the things that he said. He said, hey, the world says the self-confident and the competent people are the ones who are happy. But guess what? I tell you that those who are actually poor in spirit are happy. And Jesus says, the world says that the, the, the good-looking people, the pleasure-seeking, the beautiful people, they're the ones who are blessed. But hey, I tell you, when you're looking at these guys over here, my lens is that those who mourn are actually who are blessed. Jesus said it's the powerful that the world thinks is blessed, but actually, I tell you, it's the meek who are blessed. All right? He's inviting them to look at the crowd with a different lens. He says, hey, the world says that if you're well-adjusted, if you're kind of satisfied, you're, you're, you know, that's, you should be, you know, you're blessed. But he said, but actually, you know, those who are like ravenous for change, those who hunger after righteousness, those are the ones who are real blessed, really blessed. He said, hey, the world says that those who take care of themselves, they're blessed. But I'm telling you, the merciful are blessed. The world says, and especially in a city like Boston, the sophisticated, the adult, the kind of, yeah, sophisticated is a great word for Boston. Those who are blessed. But that's what the world says. But Jesus says, do you know that the pure in heart are the people who are actually blessed and simple of heart? And Jesus said, hey, the world says the competitive, the aggressive, they're blessed. But I'm telling you, the peacemakers are blessed. The world says if you're adaptable, you don't rock the boat, you're flexible, then you're blessed. Is what the world says. But Jesus said, actually, those who are persecuted for righteousness, they're blessed. So he gave this whole deal. Again, the Beatitudes. We're familiar with them, I hope. But he said, you know, looking at the crowd, let's think differently about them. And then Jesus did something really radical. He said, and I want you to think differently about yourself. And he sowed a seed that then would germinate over the decades of the disciples' lives. And this was the seed that he sowed. And I want us to read it together out loud from the screen. Please read with me. This is what Jesus told this inner crowd. He said this, read it with me. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus says, I want you to think differently about yourself. And the first thing he does is he speaks identity. You are the light of the world. Now, this is crazy because as we'll see in a moment, the only person that Jesus calls the light of the world, except in this instant, is himself. 
He's the light of the world. And here he is saying, hey, you guys are the light of the world. And he speaks identity. And don't you know when God speaks identity, man, it's powerful. I get a little glimpse of it when I'm with my children. When, I, when my eyes are looking in my daughter's eyes and say, you're a beautiful girl. I can, it's almost like I can see in fast motion growth happening in her soul. You know, I, it's, I'm, I'm deliberately putting that in her. I'm deliberately speaking to my son. Hey, mighty man, what's up? Hey, little buddy, you're my mighty warrior. And I just am deliberate about that because I know that the whole experience of his life is going to be coming against that in him. I sit on a civic board in our city. It's actually a relationship between a, it's a relationship between the YMCA and the city. And our job as on this board are we're advisors to the staff that oversee a youth park here in the city. And we've cycled through. I've been doing it actually since really the beginning of the harbor. I mean, I think I've been on this committee six or seven years. And so I've watched a few different staff cycle through. For the last one that came through, you know, we had kind of an older gentleman before him, maybe older 30s, younger 40s. They got a young gun in this last time, 22, 23, recent college grad. As I watched him and how he, um, how he held himself and how he led, I was really impressed. And so I did what I do. I said, hey, can we go to Atomic someday? We met for coffee, and I just said to this kid, do you know what a good leader you are? Do you know what an excellent leader you are? And again, in his, his physical, it's like his spine just got two inches taller. And this is, this is not a kid who has not been without accolades before. He uh, has been the captain of his athletic teams through college and high school before. But just my speaking some identity to him, you're a great leader. I could feel, I could see in his face the encouragement because we just, I just spoke identity to him. And don't you know that God's been doing this for a long time? Do you remember the story in Judges 6 of Gideon, right? Gideon hasn't done a single thing yet. He hasn't responded to God at all. He hasn't shown himself obedient yet. And in fact, Gideon is feeling very insecure about himself. He says, I'm the least of the least, God. You know, God has a big project for him to do. Rescue Israel. And he says, I'm the least of the least. But before he does a thing, what does God say to him? He says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I'm telling you, God's in the business of imparting identity first. That's exactly what Jesus is doing here. You are the light of the world. Now, he has authority to give this identity because he's the light of the world. And so it behooves us to look. Let's look. We need to look at the Gospel of John. It's in John where he says, I am the light of the world. Let's just see the different circumstances where he shares that. In John 8, we have a great scene. Again, I want to bring you there. We're kind of in the flow of Jesus' ministry. John indicates that Jesus has come to Passover at the temple in Jerusalem before the Passion Week. The Gospels don't all agree on that. But so Jesus is apparently at Passover in the temple. One morning, the scene unfolds, right? A woman caught in adultery brought to Jesus. Jesus does this amazing thing saying, hey, he was without sin, cast the first stone. They all walk away. Does anyone condemn you? He says to her and she says, no. And Jesus says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. And then Jesus picks up this dialogue. At that point, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. 
whoever follows me. Again, just what we have in mind is a woman with her, uh, a woman caught in sin. Where's the man? He's equally to blame. And then the oldest guys who just left first, when Jesus said, who's without sin, let him cast the first stone. They all leave. And Jesus is saying, in this context, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you're not going to walk in darkness, but you're going to have the light of life. We forward a little bit. Just the next chapter, John 9. The disciples have a deep theological question for him. They see a man who's born blind, and they say, all right, our, our, our Hebrew context, our Jewish theology says that either his dad sinned or he sinned because he's got this imperfection. Who sinned? And Jesus says, hey, it's not resulting in sin that this guy's struggling here, that he's blind. But he goes on to say, John 9, 5. And it was, sorry, he says, but so that God's glory can be revealed. And he says this, as long as I am in the world, this is John 9, 5, I am the light of the world. As long as I'm in the world, I'm in the light. I am the light of the world. And he's going to go on to make a point about the Pharisees who can't see, even though they think they can see, and this blind man who, can, who, who gets his physical sight and now can see spiritually, who sees that Jesus is the Messiah. I'm just giving us flow. for this is, Jesus calls himself the light of the world, and that's what he's imparting to us. So it's, it's an amazing thing. And then in John 12, now we're, things are accelerating. We're, it's the beginning of the Passion Week. Jesus had just come in um, on his donkey. You know, Palm Sunday has occurred, and um, he makes these statements. John 12, 35 to 36, he says, The light, referring to himself, is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. Right? Meaning kind of receive all that I am. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. But while you have the light, this is awesome, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Here's Jesus. I want to impart this identity. I'm light, and I want you to share it with me. I'm the light of the world. You're with me. You're my daughters. You're my sons. We're the same family. If I'm light, you're light, and it's important. And 10 verses after that, John, uh, John reports that Jesus says, I've come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. The second thing that I want us to examine when Jesus says, hey, you're the light of the world. First thing we must understand, he's got the authority to say that because he's the light of the world. But the second thing we, we must understand is that it's been God's will from the beginning that his people are light in the world. In other words, it was his intention. You know, God plans things. He's really a good planner. As one of our friends, Charlie Halley, has said, Charlie was involved at the River Church and in our movement for several years. He's transitioned back to Texas. But Charlie actually says an arresting thing. At least when I first heard it, it was arresting. He said, do you know, what's the first part of the Bible that Jesus, that God, the Holy Spirit, that they wrote? You know what Charlie's answer is? Revelation 22. In other words, God began with the end in mind. I'm just saying that here too. God begins with the end in mind. And God's end was always that you and I be light bearers. His intention was always that we be his light. So we get a little snippet of that in Acts. Okay, in the book of Acts, we have Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. They show up in the region that Rome has designated Galatia. It's present day Turkey. And Rome had to name it this because they had trouble controlling everything there. So they named it a province. 
and they put different outposts into there. And one of their main outposts was a place called Antioch. In the Bible, it's referred to as Pisidian Antioch, as, as opposed to Syrian Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas were, were from, or they were sent out from. A wonderful first, incredible New Testament church from whom our movement derives its name. We're referencing the other Antioch. But they show up in this Galatian Antioch, this Pisidian Antioch in present-day Turkey, to the lakes region of Turkey. And they have a rockin' first Sunday there, okay, Saturday. They show up on the Sabbath in synagogue. They just explain salvation to people. And man, there's a move. So that the following Sabbath, the whole city shows up. But also the rabble-rousers show up. The people who will oppose them, the leaders, the high-level Jewish leaders, high-level Roman leaders, and they're trying to run them out of town. And this is what Paul says. Check this out in Acts 13, 46. He says, hey, guys, here I am at the synagogue, but guess what? Since you thrust the word of God aside and you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Now, Paul knows this. He says, for so the Lord commanded us, saying, he's going to quote from Isaiah 49, and he says, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, for the nations, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Okay, God always begins with the end in mind, and you and I have always been destined to be God's light. He always knew that would happen. And of course, it had to happen through Jesus, and then through our receiving of Jesus. Okay? Third thing we want to just note is, as we go through Scripture here is that the Apostle Paul totally understood this, this identity piece, and he made sure that as he was... Uh, pastoring the churches that he planted, that he used the same language. First Thessalonians 5, 5, it says, Hey guys, you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. And the context there is that he's saying, you guys should be ready for the day of the Lord and not uptight about it, right? We know God's coming back. So behave, act like light because you are light, but don't fret because he's coming back when he's coming back. So just relax. Sorry, that was the message, right? That the message version? Neil Hubacher, message version. Secondly, Ephesians 5, 8, and 9, um, he says, and I love this, because Paul says, hey, for at one time you were darkness. Wow. I feel like my parents could have said that about me when I was in high school. <laughs> you were dark. More, more like middle school, actually. Neil, you were darkness, by the way. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. You are a light in the Lord. Notice Paul gets it. Paul gets it that, that there's an identity piece that has been imparted from God, and the church needs to walk in it. And, of course, the context there is you, he's saying, hey, church, guys, avoid sexual morality. Avoid covetousness, which is idolatry. Avoid impurity, foolish talk, crude joking. Ouch, I just got convicted. And so just avoid that stuff because you need to walk in the light because you are light. And speaking of the end in mind, I just return to, let us return to the fact that God himself is light. All of scripture kind of ends in this consummation. Revelation 22, 5 says, picture of how life will be for us. It says, and the night will be no more. And it says, his servants will need no lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. So God is light, and he's inviting us to be light also. So Jesus is on the hillside putting a seed of truth into these guys' hearts that's going to change them over the next decades. And he uses a very simple household illustration, right? He says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. It just cannot. And, of course, and then he says, of course, a lamp 
you know, you don't put a bucket on a lamp. You light it so the whole house gets, um, again, we can't use candles in this place, so. <clears throat> right? You set the lamp out. Again, the picture, first century house, one room house. There's probably a, a shelf. The candle's lit on it. It gives light to the whole house. An illustration that everyone listening to would understand. And then he ends by saying, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So the good news for you, the good news for me, as we process 2016, and maybe with me you have that heart's desire, Lord, can I make more kingdom impact? You know, regardless of vocation, regardless of station in life, can there be more kingdom impact? You know what the good news is? It seems to me, that it's less about my goal setting. Again, not a bad exercise. But maybe it's more about who I am. Right? Maybe it's less about me getting anxious about goals. But maybe it begins with my being. When we know who we are, they will know who he is. When we know who we are, they will know who he is. Do I believe it? When I know who I am. They will know who he is. I have to believe that. That's what the scripture seems to be saying. Now, if you're like me, I read that last verse. Hey, let your light shine. They'll give glory to the others. And something in me feels a little uncomfortable. You know, I'm thinking ahead to just the next chapter, Matthew 6. Jesus will say, he'll have some strong words for people who are ostentatiously religious. You know, in the sense of, you know, hey, don't pray out loud and use a lot of words. You know, Jesus seems to indicate that building a secret life with the Father in prayer is more what he's after. And I would say to that, I mean, as I reason that through, I just think, hey, attitude's everything, you know? People know when there's light flowing from you and it comes from a place of security in who you are versus trying to make stuff happen or just beat someone over the head with some religion or whatnot. In fact, I have a great picture of this. And I didn't ask this person if I could share this, so I'm going to be intentionally vague. When I think of someone who is just light in the, work, in, the, in the context of their working world, I think of someone in our midst who just, he just gave an end-of-the-year report in his organization. And his end-of-the-year report, he sprinkled Bible verses in there. Again, you know, okay, great. Check for Bible verses. But that's not just all that he does. He has a lifestyle of integrity in his work. He has a lifestyle of treating his other office mates with respect. He has a lifestyle of praying for his colleagues regularly. And he even has invited some of them who are also followers of Jesus into a small group with him. And so there's just light coming from him. There's light coming out of this guy. And I have a feeling that this verse, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glory to your Father who is in heaven. Right? It's not up to him whether they give glory to God in heaven. That's really up to God and them. But he's doing his part. He knows who he is. And so they will see who God is. He knows he's light. And he acts like it continuously. And so soon others will give glory to God. When we know who we are, they will know who he is. Amen? You are the light of the world. So in response, I'm going to invite Keith and the band to come back up. In response, I want to go back to... Jesus' last words about himself being light before he was crucified. This is the John 12 citation. He said, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. In other words, in order for us to behave like this, we need a fresh 
revelation. I know we use that word too much, but it's a good one. We do need a fresh revelation of him as the light. Believe in the light that you may become sons of light. If you're here today and if you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, that's your initial step. It's, I want to believe in Jesus so I can become a daughter, a son of the Most High. For most of us, though, I, I suspect that there is an edge of unbelief in our hearts. I know it's true for me. There's something about which, there's some journey of your heart that you're on, where there's still some unbelief. And I, and I think that Jesus' invitation is, hey, believe in me as the light. And guess what? In that very area of defeat or, or destruction or frustration, you will be a son or a daughter of light in that area. I think that's his invitation for most of us today. If we know who we are, they will know who he is. So, why don't you stand with me? Wow, we're whipping through things today. I have an extra long lunch. It's a good thing. <laughs> Clean up the Christmas tree. <clears throat> what I want to do first is, as you're just kind of receiving and responding, I want to just lead us in a declaration. This is just truth, and a lot of times truth, as Jesus has invited, just needs to be believed. And so please repeat after me. I'd like to say declaration, and I hope that it expresses your heart. So just repeat after me as a prayer to God. Jesus, you are the light of the world. I come to your light. Thank you that you call me a son of light, a daughter of light. I receive that I am the light of the world. Because you live inside me. Shine your light through me. Use me to illuminate the hearts, the souls, the motives of others. You're the judge. I'm not. You're the light in me. And I receive that. Be your holy self in and through me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord, we love you. Lord, we just receive afresh this identity piece. I pray, even as you did to Gideon several thousand years ago, and as you did on a hillside, Jesus, 2,000 years ago, you spoke identity to a bunch of knuckleheads, and they were used by God to transform civilization. Lord, will you do the same thing in our little gym today? In Jesus' name, will you speak to us the truth that we are light of the world because you live inside us? And let it be transformational, I pray. In our little corner of the North Shore, this little corner of the United States in the 21st century, we please speak the same identity that we are the light of the world. God, there's sobriety there. Of course, there's repentance there. We, we, we repent for our darkness where we are, where we are um, friends of the darkness. We pray, do a fresh work in us so that more light shines in us and we're more reflecting your light. But we believe, God, that you're doing something transformational here today as you did on the hillside 2,000 years ago. We love you.
Jesus' name, amen.